Iwina. Live, online. The 702 app, DSTV channel 856, 92.7 and 106 FM. On the show today, we'll celebrate the matriculants of 2023. The IEB results are out. Government results are soon uh, later tonight, tomorrow morning. Police Minister Becky Kele responds after six suspects are shot dead in Inanda in KZN. A tearful Kenny Kunene speaks about the rescue of Rio Via bus operator and a protest at Cricket South Africa as the David Tiger controversy rolls on. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Good to be with you today. A full news day. Quite a few things happening this morning that we're watching. I've been uh, watching the police minister, Becky Kele. He's been speaking. He's gone to Inanda in KZN where six suspects were shot dead in a gunfight with police. So we'll try and bring you some of that, hoping to speak to the minister if uh, he has an opportunity to do so. But police responding there and uh, killing six suspects in that shootout. And then I've also been watching the press conference of Kenny Kunene, who, of course, is the MMC for transport in the city of Joburg, as you heard in the news bulletin there. He's been speaking about the rescue of the bus operator that operates Rio Via with the business rescue. And Kenny Kunene at one point breaking down in tears, getting very emotional. Uh, and we'll play you that audio a bit later on. And I want to know what you what you think about it, because he he had he says he had given up hope, but they were able to, to rescue the situation, which means they were able to rescue over 200 jobs as well. So let me know your thoughts about that and then we'll speak to the former Proteus cricketer Mandy Yachad a bit later on in the show as well ahead of the protest at Cricket South Africa's offices later today as the David Teager controversy rolls on as well. You can send us a WhatsApp voice note 072 702 1702 You can tweet me or x me at Mandy Wiener as well. Well, let's start with the matric results because the basic education minister has held a breakfast today with the top matric achievers. Uh, we have the IB results. Those are out. So matrics who wrote the 2023 National Senior Certificate exams through the IB achieved an overall pass rate of 98.46%. A total of 15,180 pupils from private schools wrote the IEB exam. The Harting Department of government, uh, e-government, is urging all learners who wrote their matric exams last year to access their results when they come out on the matric results online system. So those results are going to be released uh, tomorrow. The ministerial announcement of the results, though, happened uh, earlier today, as I mentioned. Veronica Mahaudi, EWN reporter at that breakfast for us. Veronica, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much uh, for your time. Uh, well, firstly, tell us about what happened this morning. Well, Mandy, of course, this morning it's the ministerial breakfast, as you've mentioned, where 34 of South Africa's top achieving matric pupils had a time to spend with uh, Basic Education Minister Angie Motecha. Um, and essentially the purpose of this breakfast, Mandy, uh, is to essentially celebrate out of, you know, thousands of matric pupils across the country. 34 of these pupils over here were able to not only just pass matric, which is an incredible achievement on its own, but became the top achieving performers, meaning in certain subjects, including science, biology, mathematics, that these were among the students who were the very best in the country. 
What kind of message was there for Angie Motsecha today uh, to these uh, to these matriculants? We know that invariably there are comparisons, and we've heard them being made between IEB and uh, and the National Senior Certificate. So, what kind of message did she give to these high achievers today? Absolutely, Mandy. Of course, on the back of that kind of comparison that we do see every year, the minister really made it clear to the young pupils here that they remain essentially the future of the basic education department. The minister's words, and not so many words, were saying that looking at these young people, they have reaffirmed essentially the basic education department's you know, efforts in creating a functioning public schooling system. Um, we know, Mandy, of course, that there are many, many challenges that face the sector. But when you look at these young achievers, you do generally honestly see young leaders of South Africa, future ministers, if one might even say. And essentially, the minister's message was also to say that, you know, they have become a beacon of hope and a reminder of the efforts of what it takes as society, as teachers, as parents, and what can be achieved, uh, you know, behind one you know, goal. And that is essentially to continue to strengthen the education sector. Veronica, of course, my favourite thing when metric results are released is hearing from the, the children, well, the, the, the teenagers themselves, uh, as yeah. they get their results and they're celebrated on the stage. So what have some of them been telling you? Well, Mandy, I spoke to one particular student. Uh, her name is Ramonia Mbezi from the Patrick Ramona Secondary School in Lumbopo. She's really spoken about her hopes and dreams. But uh, in this you know, very short interview that I had with her, she was able to really explain to me what this moment means to her. And I think among her peers as well, she spoke, of course, about her parents and the support that they have given, reiterating the minister's message. But let's have a listen exactly what this moment means for her. Our financial, our financial status was not that brilliant, but the way that they pushed to provide for every need, they put, my grandma has six kids, and then she, all of them, she pushed, she pushed, she made sure that they had everything that they need to go to school. My mom is unemployed, but still, I never cried to be like, I don't have this, I don't have this to do it. They pushed me, and... With that seeing them doing all that for me makes me want to make them proud and just give them the respect that they deserve and take them places so that they can also be one of those. Well, there we go. Congratulations to all of the matrics, but also to all of those who made sacrifices to ensure that they could be successful to the parents, the grandparents, the guardians, uh, everyone who had to sacrifice to ensure that uh, the matriculants did so well. So thank you very much, Veronica, for sending us that audio. Uh, well, earlier today, um, the IEB did speak to my colleague, Bongani Bingwa, a matric candidates who wrote their 2023 exams administered by the South African Comprehensive Assessment Institute achieved a uh, percentage pass rate of 72%. Uh, These were um, the body's first as a fully accredited private assessment body with about 5,826 candidates sitting for the exams uh, last year. So let's get uh, an update from Keith Maseko, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Comprehensive Assessment Institute. Uh, So uh, Mr. Maseko, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. How did the exams go for you? Uh, Mandy, thank you for having me on your show. Um, exams, we would say they generally ran well. We were very fortunate to maintain the 72% pass rate that you've just alluded to, but we are very proud of our candidates that wrote through us. 
What were some of the learning experiences? Uh, as I mentioned, this was uh, your first as a fully accredited private assessment body. Uh, so what was your, your experience of that and, and, and what have you taken away from it? Well, as much as we, it was our first time writing under the banner fully accredited, we, SACA has been around for 12 years. So for the last, um, for the last 11 years, we, we were provisionally accredited. So we, we seem to have a sense of what it means to actually run credible exams. But what we can essentially take away from is um, the sector itself maturing because our cohort of learners are those that would have attended uh, predominantly the online schools. So we have seen that particular sector in South Africa literally maturing. And we are actually quite excited to actually see candidates that would have gone through um, the online distance education route, having the discipline to literally achieve a metric through this particular avenue. As you mentioned, of course, uh, many of your of your cohort are online, also long distance uh, learners as well, distance education learning. How do you find that that method of learning compares to uh, in classroom learning when it comes to metric results? Well, certainly there are challenges and hence that's why I also alluded to the fact that it really needs candidates or learners that are very disciplined. Um, it's, it's not an easy feat, but it certainly needs a lot of support, not only from the institution itself providing that service, but also the parents um, and, and any other you know, supporting structure that the learner actually requires. So I think in, in that regard, um, that in itself um, is a bit challenging. But I think a sense of what we're also then getting is the, what we call school-based assessments, SBAs. SBAs are crucial in resulting learners at the end of the day. Uh, it's not only your exam mark, but also your school-based assessment mark. And in, in that regard, I think this particular sector still needs a lot of educating and preparing in order for them not to raise the expectations too high that you could be averaging 100% with your school-based assessment. Right. But a bit of a shell shock when you actually then, you know, go to the nearest exam center, walk in there, and literally sit for a three-hour exam. There's still a bit of disparity amongst some of our learners, but I think the the other learners seem to have gotten the, the gist of it, hence why we also sit with additional distinctions for this year, including higher uh, bachelor passes. The, that particular rate has also gone up, including the diploma passes and high certificate uh, passes as well. So there seems to be some learners that understand why they should really be a good relationship between the SBA mark and eventually the exam mark. But for those that sort of have inflated marks, we are still having to speak to some of our online institutions or distance education providers that there is no guarantee that if you are scoring 100% in a, in a school-based assessment, then come the exam time. Um, learners tend to find it quite difficult. Uh, Keith, I just received a, a WhatsApp message from a listener. It's quite long, so I'm just going to give you a, a shortened version. But essentially what they're saying is that they got their results yesterday from uh, from your organization. And a lot of students in matric say that um, the results they've been receiving are, are not um, what they expected, that their marks seem incredibly low. And throughout the year, they've done well. A lot of the final papers weren't hard at all. So uh, they were confident, but the results were lower than what they expected. Is this something that you've been picking up? 
It is something that we've literally been picking up. Uh, we've picked that up not only for 2023, but this even dates back um, to the time that I literally took over Sakai in 2019. This is a common trend, but there are certain recourse that candidates can explore. For example, uh, one would apply for what we would call a remark. The second one would be an opportunity for viewing of scripts where candidates or parents have the opportunity to then view the scripts. I have sat in many of these meetings uh, dating back to three, four years. And parents tend to only then have a sense of um, assurance after sitting and really looking at the scripts and realizing that "Mm, there's a bit of a disparity. And usually when they even come with their own children, they tend to even then ask, so what happened on this day? And all of a sudden, you know, uh, children tend to open up to say, no, I was under stress. This is what happened. I was not really sure about this particular question, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it, it is what it is. But uh, I always then say to candidates that it's not the end of the world. Uh, there are still opportunities of not only a remark, viewing of scripts, but also being and having an opportunity to write again in May, June. So these are some of the avenues that parents still have uh, to explore with, with the respective candidates that did not do well. Mm. Keith, thank you very much. Keith Maseko is the Sakai Chief Executive Officer uh, that is the South African Comprehensive Assessment Institute, which achieved a pass rate of 72%, explaining the, the, the situation. As I mentioned, that WhatsApp message as well, saying that they expected far better than what they've received. And they uh, do feel that um, many parents, many students upset. Many students feel like they weren't the marks they've worked for. But an explanation there from Keith. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. So yesterday, uh, first day of school, and in KwaZulu-Natal, the government instructed all schools to release pupils early because of severe weather warnings. We know that there has been a lot of disruptive rain in the province. So let's speak now to Muzi Mahlambi, who is the KZN Education Department spokesperson, to find out how today has gone. Muzi, good afternoon to you. Thank you for uh, your patience and for making time to speak to us today. What is the situation in KZN with schools today? Afternoon, Mandy, and afternoon to your listeners. <coughs> Um, we we got up uh, into a day that uh, brought uh, many uncertainties uh, in the sense that uh, uh, we could not tell whether it was going to rain or what is it that it was going to do. But uh, uh, towards 10 and 11, it started to rain most part of, of, of the province, uh, which we are... Uh, cognizance of the fact that uh, yesterday when we issued that circular, it was because of the level five that has been warned throughout the week. So we said today parents and uh, educate and teachers must use their discretion whether to go to work or whether to release uh, learners because it might not be raining uh, at the moment in some parts of, of, of the province, but you'll find that the rain uh, was today damage uh, a lot of uh, infrastructure in terms of roads. Sorry, we're just losing your line there. I'm sure um, wherever, wherever you are, there, it may be a disruption. Uh, we'll, we'll try again. Um, I just wanted to, to get clarity then. So there's no um, blanket decision across the province. You're saying that, that principals and teachers should be using their discretion wherever they are. Uh, this is a position that were given by us yesterday. And we are using the experience of the two years ago uh, floods uh, that 
this is how we communicated with them using an experience of COVID, uh, of how we communicate with the schools. Muzi, I'm afraid we have to leave it there. We're just losing your line. Uh, we'll try and get you back again. We'll just try and get clarity on that. But that is Muzi Maklambi, who is the KZN Education Department spokesperson. They're using the experience of, of COVID, how to communicate with schools and uh, the situation in KZN with schools, which had to be closed early yesterday. And I'm sure you may have seen some of the videos that are being shared on social media as well of, of small children having to cross flowing rivers in order to, to get to school and facing the risk of being washed away. Uh, as they do so, of course, that comes with inherent danger, and that's something the department would not want to happen. Seven o two, the midday report, Monday to Friday, twelve to one p.m. Well, now that the school year is underway, let's have a look at the issue of scholar transport. Officials in the Western Cape have been visiting various schools in the city to have a look at, in the city of Cape Town, that is, to have a look at whether or not transport services meet safety criteria. So they're in Mitchell's Plain today, and that's an area that was affected by a deadly scholar transport accident last year. Ntutuzelo Nene, EWN reporter, joining us. Ntutuzelo, tell us uh, where you've been and what the politicians have been saying. Good afternoon, Mandy. Um, yes, this morning we were in Mitchell's Plain where the provincial MEC for transport, Ricardo McKenzie, and mayoral committee member for safety and security, J.P. Smith, um, joined a scholar transport operation. Um, you know, traffic officers were out there inspecting all the, um, the vehicles that are transporting children to schools. And... Um, in one instance, a, a taxi driver was arrested uh, on suspicion of uh, drunk driving and overloading his uh, scholar transport vehicle. And several other um, uh, small vehicles were impounded for not having operating licenses. Um, and, you know, um, we spoke to um, the MEC for, for transport, Ricardo McKenzie, saying that these operations will continue throughout the year and that um, the the scholar transport operators who are not abiding by the law will face um, consequences. Um, this is what he had to say to us, explaining exactly what the operation is about. What we're having here this morning as part of our uh, um, enforcement, education and awareness uh, activities is scholar transport uh, enforcement and awareness. Uh, Working with our colleagues in the city of Cape Town is to check the legality of uh, transport operators, their permits, the number of kids in the scholar transport uh, operator vehicles to ensure that our, our little angels get to school safely. Uh, sadly, what we found this morning, already a driver has been arrested for allegedly being under the influence of alcohol. His vehicle has also been overloaded, so our officers are taking those kids to nine different schools. Thank you very much to Ntutuzelo Nene for bringing us uh, that audio focus there from the Western Cape government, the city of Cape Town, on uh, the situation with Scholar Transport uh, in Mitchell's Plain today. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hi, uh, Mandy. It's Norman and Pretoria. Let's take this opportunity to congratulate the IEB matriculants of uh, 2023 that have uh, obtained a 98% percentage pass rate. I think uh, I also want to touch on this uh, comments of uh, MEC, or rather the Premier, Panyazali Sufi, saying they need to match the curricula to be one. I think Banyaza must first deal with the issue of uh, the dropping of the the pass rate 
of public schools where they get 80 out of 100. That's where you need to focus and the issue of infrastructure, deal with the issue of toilets, uh, deal with the issue of gatekeeping for tenders, for bus transport and so on. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. So this has been an issue that I have heard my colleagues discussing. I asked you the question yesterday as well. Uh, following that one tweet from Paniyaz Sufi that really seems to have dominated the, the narrative around the matric results, around whether or not there should be one matric uh, uh, exam across the board. So national senior certificates, IEB, everybody writes the same thing. And is that possible when you have different resources and different levels of education between uh, private schools and public schools. And uh, I, I suppose this is also an issue that, that has now come up with the fact that the IB results are, are, are so high, an overall pass rate of 98.46%, higher than the, the, the year before in 2022 with 98.42%. Um, but it does seem as though there is a degree of concern uh, with those matriculants who did write the exams that were administered by Sakai, the South African Comprehensive Assessment Institute. And uh, if you were listening earlier, the CEO of Sakai, Keith Maseko, explaining that on the WhatsApp line. Um, I'm wondering if everything comes down to Sakai's marking, uh, making the point that um, Sakai must use at least 75% of the exam mark um, and that Uma Lucy moderated the papers and downgraded or upgraded some parts of the paper, only leaves the marking or the calculation of the exam mix. So who checked the memos, who checked the marks? Markers, all of that. And as, as Sakai explained to us, Keith explained to us that there can be a remark, but this seems to be a consistent problem that we are seeing uh, year after year. The fact that these matriculants are leaving the exams feeling confident, they're expecting a better result. And then when the results come out, they are much lower than they expected. So is there an issue there? And then, of course, the uh, the National Senior Certificate results uh, will be released uh, soon. So we are waiting um, later tonight, early tomorrow, for those matriculants uh, who will be waiting very anxiously for those results. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. 12.35 on the Midday Report with me, Mandy Wiener. So the Under-19 Men's Cricket World Cup tournament gets uh, underway tomorrow. And the International Cricket Council um, has been saying that there will be enhanced security at the JB Marks Oval in Potchefstroom for the opening game between South Africa and the West Indies. Uh, there is a lot of focus here because of the controversy around the former captain, David Teager, who uh, was the captain, but then he was relieved of the captaincy by cricket. South Africa and this is uh, ostensibly because of security reasons but it is also related of course to the pro-Israel comments that he made at the Jewish Achiever Awards in October last year. Advocate Vim Trengove uh, cleared Tiger during an independent inquiry. There is a protest taking place today being led by the South African Jewish Board of Deputies at Cricket South Africa's uh, offices and then Cricket South Africa will also meet tomorrow with the South South African Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions Coalition, the BDS. They are going to be having a protest outside the JB Marks Oval tomorrow as well. So let's have a look at that protest that is taking place today. And uh, a person who's going to be speaking at that protest is Mandy Yachad, a former South African cricketer who joins us now. Mandy, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time today. You'll be speaking at that protest today. What is the, the message of the Jewish Board of Deputies those people who are protesting at Cricket South Africa. Hi, Mandy. Yeah, the uh, the reason for the protest is to uh, protest against 
what the South African Board of Deputies and many people feel are the discriminatory and anti-Semitic reasons for removing David as the captain of the under-19 team. Cricket South Africa has met with the Jewish Board of Deputies. They've maintained that it is for security reasons. Um, is, does, that not, does that not fly with, with you or with the Jewish Board of Deputies? Uh, it certainly doesn't fly with me. Um, you may have seen a letter I sent to the Business Day in which I questioned the reason uh, for the security concerns. Um, and I was quite clear in saying that there were other ways of dealing with it. Um, it also appears from the statement which the South African Board of Deputies released after their meeting with CSA that the reasons which were given were not um, decent reasons. Um, in fact, they were quite contradictory when they answered. And that's the reason why the South African Board, in my view, why the South African Board of Deputies has decided to hold this protest today. On a personal level, Mandy, um, you, of course, played uh, cricket for South Africa, but you've made it clear that you will no longer be attending cricket matches. You will no longer go to the Wanderers. You'll no longer uh, go and go and watch uh, cricket. Explain that decision to us. Yeah, Mandy, I think that, you know, every action, there needs to be a consequence. Um, and the reason I gave at the time, this was when CSA decided to institute an inquiry into David's comments and as to whether they breached uh, their codes, I found that to be um, very much double standards uh, because it was it, there were comments made by David at a private function. Um, there were comments made by other South African cricketers who, were, who made pro-Palestinian comments well before that and, and cricketers who were, who are, were high, more high-profile than David and yet nothing, no action was taken against them. In fact, uh, the chairman of CSA, uh, Lawson Naidu, uh, is very active on, on uh, social media with anti-Israel comments, yet no action is taken against them. So uh, I believe that to be terrible double standards, and it was for that reason that I said I would no longer support any event hosted by CSA. Mandy, the counter-argument, and there has been um, extensive commentary around this and opinion pieces written about, uh, about this, is that in light of, of D, uh, David Teager's comments that they may have been or were offensive to some and as a, a captain in a leadership position, he needs to be inclusive and representative across the board. So, Mandy, I go back to what I said about Lawson Knight. Uh, is in a far more representative position and a far more powerful position then David, as chairman of CSA, which is the governing body, then David Teager of an under-19 team. Yet why, why is it not said that his comments offend people in the community and no action is taken against him? Um, you know, I find that quite amazing. Um, but because he made pro-Israel comments, uh, there is action taken against him and people find it offensive. Mandy, thank you very much for your time. Mandy Yachad, a former South African cricketer, will be speaking at that protest today being led by the South African Jewish Board of Deputies outside Cricket South Africa's offices. And then tomorrow there will be a protest by the South African Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions Coalition, BDS, outside the JB Marks Oval. So that World Cup getting underway tomorrow in Potchefstroom. David Teager is expected to play there and the under-19 team will be 
be in action against the uh, West Indies tomorrow. So that's going to be happening. But very much this issue around David Teager rumbling on and overshadowing the cricket. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. So the uh, MMC of transport in the city of Joburg, Kenny Kunene, held a press conference today. And this is all about the rear via bus rapid transport system. So if you've been following the story, the company that operates rear via Piotrans uh, got into some serious financial difficulty because of, of mismanagement and various other reasons. So there was this, uh, this great big effort to try and rescue the company. And it does seem as though that has happened through the business rescue um, uh, operator. Uh, but Kenny Kunene speaking today, and a very emotional Kenny Kunene, I must say, uh, speaking about uh, what has happened here and how they were able to to save shareholders and save jobs as well at Piotrans. Have a listen to what Kenny Kunene had to say. I had lost hope. I had lost hope. But Brahmanda Gaba said to me, Mtumande, your heart is in the right place. These are our black brothers and sisters. And I will help you. You saw me drive in with a bus from Marco Polo. Marco Polo refused to give me buses. But because Brahmanda said he will stand surety for you, he will stand surety for you. So that's very emotional, Kenny Kunene, and uh, wiping away tears as well, and uh, making sh- you know really trying to uh, explain how how he had given up hope, and he was very emotional. Mongezi Koko, EWN reporter, was there uh, and uh, was watching that press conference today. Uh, Mongezi, speak to us about uh, w- what exactly Kenny Kunene announced today. Right, thanks, Mandy. We start where Kenny Kunene gave his welcome speech. Now, he was emotional from the very moment that he took to the podium. Kenny Kunene outlined the struggles that he faced as the MMC in the city to try and get Piotrans out of hot water. He says that in the beginning of last year, around about March, he was informed that Piotrans owes creditors and Riavaya bus drivers are also protesting which needed in urgent intervention. Now, he says that he took to the shareholders to have a conversation with them to try and find out what the board is doing about this. And this is when he was met with very uncomfortable news. He was told that there are no plans to try and save Piotrans. And he says this is when he took the initiative to look around for people to save the company. And that's why he was crying. He explained that he had to go to the free state, to the KZN, to various other provinces to try and find someone who's willing to step up. This is when he came in contact with Mandla Kaba, a KZN businessman, who was the only person to step up and say that he's willing to fund Piotrons to try and get it out of hot water. Today I'm happy to announce the unions and the drivers are 100% behind me. The interdict was necessary for them to go back to work so that I could uh, continue to derive income from the city and make sure I honour the obligations of the 13th check and the salaries. I'm glad to announce 50% of those salaries of uh, uh, bonuses were already paid and another 50% scheduled for a uh, month end. 
and I've already had the budget for that and their salaries. And with the new buses coming in, our, our cash flow is going to be very positive. So it'll be relatively easy to keep my current expenses current and also to pay off some of my creditors. Right. So that's the business now, rescue uh, spokesperson there, or business rescue person, Manila Tayob, speaking there. Um, so, so just explain that to us, uh, Mungezi. Right. That was Mahir Tayob, a very positive Mahir Tayob, Mandy. He was explaining how his vision is coming together for Piotrans and Reavaya. He was walking us through how the company has now been able to source around about 47 buses. Now, he says that they do have all 47 buses right now. Two of them are old Reavaya buses, which have been refurbished, and the rest are new buses, which will now go through various rigorous testing before being introduced into the fleet. And he says this will accelerate profitability and will allow drivers to then earn their salaries with no hindrances and also the 50% remaining. Now, these are the drivers who didn't get their previous December bonuses. They have been promised their bonuses by the end of the month. Tayob is looking forward to this year. He has promised to also add new staff to the Reavaya company, and this will ultimately boost employment within the city. So the vision that he has is ultimately a great vision for Reavaya, with some measures including Wi-Fi within the bus to be introduced, paying with your card is also one of the things that he has made mention of. Tayoba is also no, no longer interim business rescue uh, practitioner. He was then made a permanent business rescue practitioner by the creditors. 98% of the creditors yesterday voted in his favor to take over this role, Mandy. Mongezi, thank you very much. Mongezi Koko, EWN reporter, bringing us the latest there. And as you heard, Kenny Kuneni singing the praises there of the um, Taba taxi family based in KZN, which is uh, from various media reports, uh, uh, a relative to the former president, Jacob Zuma, close to Jacob Zuma. And Kenny Kuneni is saying that it's only because of uh, Mandla Taba that uh, the Ria Via bus service has been rescued. An emotional Kenny Kunene there. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Well, it does look like uh, the ANC is now moving against uh, its own Secretary General, Fakile Mbalula, who has reportedly been gagged by the ANC because of his comments around the fire pool last week, drawing a lot of criticism in a way, overshadowing the uh, January 8th uh, celebrations in Mpumalanga last week. We have had Gwede Mantasha, the ANC National Chairperson, criticising Mbalula as well. And now it seems as though the ANC is reigning in Fakile Mbolula. Tsiri Madia, EWN's Associate Politics Editor, joining us in studio. Tsiri, thank you very much for your time. What's the status now of Fakile Mbolula? Does he need to have a script before he goes to the podium? <laughs> Good afternoon, Mandy. Let me start here. A short while ago, the ANC Deliver uh, dropped a statement about the story, saying that they reject media speculation and confirm that there is no gagging of the Secretary General of the organization. I also don't know how you go about gagging the mouthpiece of the organization. Is the COO communicates decisions by the NEC. Um, And I also go further to say my personal sources, my insiders, also know nothing about a decision around guidelines. So I'm not too sure about where the gag order would have come from. But I do know that they are concerned. A lot of insiders I've spoken to saying that they are worried about how Malula... um, 
utters some of the comments he makes when he's in the public domain, when he sees the media spotlight. Um, I do know that Nomvula Mokonyani last week said that the officials had discussed it. The NEC, I don't remember a time where they have tabled it themselves. themselves. Um, it's not on my, on my end. I wouldn't know anything about it. But I do know he's out of the country. Yes, he didn't speak much on Saturday. But that's the event where the president of the organization spoke. That's an event where um, the chair of the organization kind of gives a guideline and um, leads the way around that particular story. Um, but there are concerns in different pockets about commentary that Mbalula has made for a while now. Yeah. Yeah, it's classic for Kile Mbalula, right? Um, he does tend Motor to... Motormouth. Yeah, speak off the cuff. Yeah. And uh, that's just his way of doing things. But, uh, of course, he's going to have to talk a lot over the next six months or so because of the elections. There seems to be this tension between uh, him and Gwede Mantashi. I don't know if it's real or pretend or, or what it is. How do you foresee the next few months? And is this going to keep happening? Or is this just an attention-seeking tool? I think it's something that Gwede Mantashi said, that Malula will eventually grow into the role. I don't know if there's enough time to afford him that where he makes comments today, apologizes tomorrow. So I don't think that there's enough time. But in terms of silencing your one of your biggest t- tools when it comes to campaigning, I don't think it's possible. I, I so he the, will sorry, be speaking. The mm. growing into the position thing. I mean, he's been a minister. He was the minister of police. He was, uh, he's been a politician, he's for, been a long a politician for a long time. How much time, time do you need to but grow I think into the that role? I'm not sure, Mandy. One would imagine he would have gotten it by now because he finds himself competing with Julius Malema, sometimes using the media in order to, in the, in the tip between the two of them. So there are expectations. You are the Secretary General of the governing party. Whether he'll get it tomorrow or next year, I don't know. But what I do know is it'll be possible to gag a Secretary General in an election year, just months before an election. That makes that, that, that for me doesn't add up. Sure. They would have to, they can talk to him. And I think some NEC members are like, who's going to sit him down and talk to Mbalula? So some are, are fearful of even having that conversation. Um, so it's, 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 it's a question of balancing it out and making sure he understands what reckless commentary can do, the consequences. He should by now. He's done so many in the past year, but yeah. I do wonder if it's not intentional. What Fakil Mbalula is saying, that he's intentionally provocative and it does get a lot of attention for the ANC. It does. It does. But I think when you watch him going on endless t- um, rants on Twitter trying to clear himself, I don't feel that it's intentional because often after these episodes, he disappears for a while. And that for me feels like somebody's licking his wounds. So I don't think it's intentional uh, on his part, at least. Tiri Madea, Associate Politics Editor. Why do I think we're going to be speaking about this regularly over the next Yes, we will. <laughs> WhatsApp Mandy on 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy, Jenny G. What I'd really love to know is what on earth happened with the rear Vire in the first place? Seven years they spent on Louis Boerter Avenue digging up the road and putting old pieces of red and white sticky stuff around the stations, but never finishing the road and never once have I seen a bus on it. So where did that mess come from? Um, Cape Town, you go there and the Mass City bus is working. Yeah, we just have, even to this day, we can't even use Louis Boerter properly because these little sticky things around each one of the um, stations, but there's no buses. I'd love to know. Cheers, bye.
Mandy, I agree with Panyaza that uh, all matriculants must write one and the same exam uh, because, uh, you know, after that they will be assessed on the same uh, criteria at university and in life. So I don't see why they should write uh, different exams at matric. Uh, I mean, many countries uh, do that. I mean, I grew up in Zimbabwe where we all wrote the same exam regardless of the school. And this forced the poorer, the poorer performing schools to raise their standards, their teaching standards. Thanks, Farai. Hey, Farai, thanks very much uh, for that. This is the debate that is uh, continuing to go on. I just don't see how it's possible when you have uh, different resources, different capabilities. Um, I, I think that what you really need to be seeing is the National Senior Certificate being improved to a level of the IB. You don't necessarily need to write the same exams. Listen, on this issue of Louis Buerta, I mean, I drive Louis Buerta on a daily basis. And I mean, it's probably the most exciting part of my day to drive Louis Buerta and try and survive it. But this issue of, of Rhea Vaya has been a long running one. As you've mentioned, for years we've had um, tape and uh, cones and half the road dug up because of, of Rhea Vaya and it's still not effective. Um, and when you listen to the emotions of Kenny Kunene, whether you, you think it's uh, legitimate or, or not, uh, and he's so hopeful about uh, getting Rhea Vaya working and operating and getting the business rescue moving and the efforts, let's see if, a, if another political regime under Kenny Kunene will get it working because for years and years it just has not happened 702 the midday report monday to friday 12 to 1 p.m the World Economic Forum 2024 is nearing an end. Uh, it wraps up tomorrow. Uh, so let's get a sense of what's been happening. The members of the Forum Friends of the African Continental Free Trade Area Initiative have launched an action plan. The um, Inokodongwana, the minister, has also been speaking at a panel on the BRICS expansion. Nokokanya Mtambo, EWN reporter, following all of that for us. Nokokanya, good afternoon to you. Give us uh, some of the key takeaways from WEF. Sure, Mandy. Good afternoon. I think a lot of the conversations that we've seen unfold over the last four days so far center around the conflicts in the multiple regions that we have in the, in, in the globe right now and how those continue to threaten a global peace and cohesion as well as stability and how that political fragmentation in essence uh, is increasingly taking its toll on how countries are able to do business uh, with each other. So it's obviously no surprise when you have those conversations dominating and how uh, you know global leaders are trying to find ways to effectively deal with these crises. And a lot of the, the heads of state, Mandy, who have spoken in, in these public um, uh, plenaries, um, you know, are, are worried about the impact of the Middle Eastern war and the well, as well as the war in Ukraine and Russia. Uh, you know, and what they want on, on, on the front of Ukraine and Russia is, you know, those two presidents, uh, Vladimir Zelensky and, and Putin, to be able to come to the table and have the conversations together about how to, you know, move forward, considering that neither one of them are willing to make any concessions. And then on the front of um, Palestine and Israel, uh, looking at a ceasefire and, and again, that conversation that, we, that conversation that we've seen and the suggestions of the two-state solution. But then again, coming closer to home, Mandy, and, and, and talking about how Africa then plugs into the global picture, the talks about the expansion of Africa's free trade block are obviously very important. We've seen uh, the commitment by, you know, I think more than a half 
of the African nations, um, you know, committing to using rules of continental free trade, uh, you know, and that pact that we've got uh, this year in, in moving the, the, the region closer to uh, fully integrating into a single market. So intracontinental trade uh, being very important. Last year, we had the guided uh, trade initiative that, that was piloted. And so we're seeing the expansion of that now, uh, particularly with the use of a single payment, a pan-African payment is what they've labeled it, uh, you know, in the settlement of using local currencies as opposed to uh, the foreign exchange uh, abroad. But again, uh, with, uh, you know, the, the, the ministers in South Africa, Mandy, pleading South Africa's case, South Africa is open for business. If you want to, you know, engage in trade in Africa, uh, South Africa remains the gateway to the rest of Africa. And so even though we do face uh, problems, particularly when it comes to energy logistics, uh, crime and corruption, that, you know, there are interventions that are in place by the South African government to deal with those so, yeah, the, the, the common message mm. uh, from South Africa in terms of plugging into Africa and the rest of the world is that we remain uh, open to business. There are a number of um, structural reforms that yeah. are in place that are dealing with those uh, with the number of crises we have. Uh, look, Kanye, very briefly, aside from the macroeconomic issues and uh, and the fact that we're open for business, uh, Gorongwana also has spoken um, about uh, specifically around uh, the budget that we are going to expect from him uh, next month, but also interest rates and what we can expect there. What did he say? What has he been saying about that? So he hasn't spoken about that, Mandy, in terms of the plenary that he was part of where he spoke uh, just a, a couple of minutes ago was specific to the expansion of, of BRICS and how, uh, you know, that's been implemented and how that's played out for, for, for Africa. But we, uh, you know, generally speaking, do expect that he's going to be pressed quite a, uh, quite a bit in terms of uh, what we can expect in, in that budget. It's an all-important budget, Mandy, considering we go into elections uh, later in the year. And so there, there's a lot of moving parts that he has to uh, consider when it comes to the budget. It's going to be a very tight one, uh, you know, in the election year. And we do hope that on the sidelines, he will make mention, uh, you know, possibly of how he plays to, uh, how he plans to play uh, the budget. But on the front of the interest rates, again, uh, there would be um, the Reserve Bank governor's uh, job, who spoke yesterday, and he admits that the, the borrowing uh, costs do remain very high. And of course, South African consumers remain uh, tightly constrained by those high borrowing costs. We only expect the, the interest rates to start dropping uh, after mm-hmm. the second quarter of the year, but there right. really is no getting around it uh, at the moment. Nokukanya, thank you very much. Nokukanya Mtambo, EWN reporter, having a look at the World Economic Forum.